Thank you for listening to the Fields Brothers Show. Roger, I want to, in this podcast, I want to tell you about a story that I've recently heard that is an amazing story. And I've only heard the first of it. It's, it's part of it. be a longer series. But um, I want to share the first part, first part of the story is just amazing of how God made himself known to an individual at absolute, absolutely the lowest point of life, uh, far lower than what we can imagine. So I look forward to telling you a little bit about that. But we get to some other things first. But this is the Fields Brothers Show podcast coming to you from Central Kentucky. Talking about life on this side of the cross and what that means. I'm here. Uh, I'm Jeff Fields, and I'm here with my brother. And I'm Roger Fields. I'm the older and probably more creative of the brothers. And I'm but, the younger uh, and the more athletic, as everybody knows. And um, I just actually presented, if you're on Facebook, you might be able to see this. Presented, um, well, Roger, tell <clears throat> tell everyone what I just presented you with here. Well, I don't totally get this. I mean, because I don't participate, but y'all do this fantasy football thing, which never made sense to me, but that's a whole other well, deal. Well, I didn't ask your opinion about I know that, you didn't, but, but anyway, I guess uh, the, a bunch of the family participates in this, but I don't. But Shannon won it this year, I guess, my daughter. One of your daughters? My yeah. third oldest daughter, who's a JAG officer. She's a captain in the Army, attorney in uh, Oklahoma. And uh, I guess so. She, it's a big old trophy. I got to tell you, I am impressed with the trophy. I mean, what it's not a scrawny little thing like I thought it might be. This is a pretty good, this is a pretty impressive trophy. So anyway, yeah, we, yeah, we, I guess you, I got to send this to her. Is well, that yeah, you mentioned a few weeks ago <clears throat> that she was upset that she yeah. hadn't received it. It's kind of like she was expecting it just to show up in her door. Well, I think she thought you were going to send it to her. There was yeah. nothing in writing that ever indicated that. We never really planned on someone out of town yeah. winning it. You know, the person who wins it gets possession for a year and never really thought about, oh, what do we do if someone clear across the country or halfway across the country wins it so yeah well that's kind of her problem i think <laughs> so um as her father i presented it to you yep. and um i'll send it to her i don't know if it'll you might it might disassemble a little bit to make it easier to uh, ship i, I don't I know can ship it'll box it up and wrap think, it up and it, it won't it won't tear up two feet maybe. tall and yeah. it weighs a little bit yeah. so um seventh seventh season to do this okay yeah the um and we can see if they want to see a picture, they can go to your Facebook page right, and see a picture right, of this. Right. All right. So um, Wayne Jacobson, who we know and, and a friend of mine, he has his own podcast, of course, the the God Journey. But he, he's he's got a different podcast going temporarily. He's got a twelve week series called My Friend Lewis. And if anyone wants to hear this firsthand, they can look for a podcast called My Friend Lewis. And Lewis is L U I S. And they're doing one a week, and I've only heard the first two so far. So I, there's a lot more of the story I have not heard. But in the first episode, so I want to kind of explain to you, Roger, what uh, what this fellow went through. So Lewis was from Mexico. He and Wayne met, I, uh, he said when, I forget, around 08, 09, I think somewhere in there. They've become you know, really good friends. I, I did not know anything about Lewis until, until recently they started doing this podcast. But Lewis had come to the U.S., on a boxing visa, he learned to box in Mexico, and I think some of his siblings were in, in the U.S. So we come to the U.S., he went back to Mexico, um, I think to see his mother. Then he was trying to come back to the U.S., and when he was coming back into the U.S., uh, he was like 21 years old. He had $100 on him and just the clothes on his back. He had a $100 bill and the clothes on his back and a little tube of chapstick. It's pretty much all that he had. And so he was going to try to walk across the border. But before he gets there, he has to go through Tijuana. And he said for Tijuana, even though it's part of Mexico and he's Mexican, 
people in Tijuana treat him just like he's from a whole different country. Hmm. And he ends up he ends up getting caught by some corrupt policemen in Tijuana, uh, gets beat up. I mean, not just a little bit roughed up. I mean, really beat up and bloodied. He gets dragged on the ground, said they were dra- tied his hands <clears throat> behind his back, dragging him across the concrete, and his face is just scraping the concrete. Gosh. And they call him into the station. They put him in a lineup, and there were two girls that had been assaulted or something, and, and they said, well, we can't even recognize that one because he's covered in blood. And so they take a paper towel, they wipe the blood off of Lewis's face. And it turns out they said, no, this this he didn't do anything to us. And so the police end up, uh, letting him go, but then he, he realizes his money's missing, that they had basically stolen his money. One of them feels sorry for them, gives him a little bit of a few pesos, like the equivalent of 50 cents or something in the U.S. And one of them takes him back toward the border. So he drops him off uh, <clears throat> near the border, and it's dark, and he's cold. He has lost now almost all of his money, and he just to rest he he lays down in a kind of a a, a concrete type of canal that's dry and he just you know he's he's rock bottom what do i do now and he's laying there and he feels the ground rumble and he hears this rumbling noise and before he knows it he is up to his neck in water Hmm. and he just and he doesn't know what to do he just instinctively starts swimming not upstream not downstream but across the current and reaches the other side of this little canal area. And what it was, it was, it happens every night. He didn't know it. And they do this at night because there's normally not people there, but it's flushing out the sewer system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had been literally flooded with sewer water. Mm-hmm. And so now he swims to the other side. He stinks to high heaven with this. He's cold and he sees a fire. Some people gather around a little fire and he walks over there and it's a group of homeless people that have a big metal drum and they are... Is he on the American side now? No, he's still in Mexico. Mexican still side. in Mexico. Okay. And so he um, comes up to them, and they don't want anything to do with him. Then they they call him Stinky because he does stink because he's just been overwhelmed with sewer water. And so they do not let him warm himself at their fire. And so, I mean, you imagine that. you got a group of homeless people, and you're not good enough for them. Mm-hmm. They're rejecting, rejecting Lewis. And so he asked them... Would it be okay if I at least got a piece of paper and, you know, caught it on fire so I could go, you know, off a ways and build my own fire? So they said, yeah, you can do that. So he started gathering up anything he could find that would burn. Sticks, pieces of paper, grass, whatever. Goes over to their fire, sticks some paper in there, so it puts it on fire, and he goes running back to where he's going to build a fire. And he starts building a little fire, and he has these little pieces of paper. And he is just totally distraught he's angry he is cold he is hungry he is miserable i mean how much lower can you get at that point and while he was putting a few pieces of scrap paper he he had one that was kind of wet and it was sticking to his hand so he tried to sling it off into the fire and when he slung it off it it missed the fire went to the side and then he noticed that it was the the piece of paper was folded and so he opened up the piece of paper and he realized there was words written on it in, um, in Spanish. And the words written on it said this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. 
you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God. Hmm. Was written on that piece of paper. And he said instantly he realized he was not alone. That there was the God of the universe, and he instinctively, it's, it's amazing to hear him tell about it, he instinctively calls out to God, Father. And he hadn't really been taught that, but he just sensed that, and, and his father had horribly <clears throat> abused him, um, and his brothers, he was the youngest of, of many brothers, and they, they had beat him up in a horrible childhood. But, he, you know, at, at his absolute lowest, all of a sudden, you know, he's still cold, he's still miserable in that way. But he said he had an incredible peace and joy because he knew that the God of the universe knew who he was Mm. and knew his name and cared for him. And, and the other, and so he, he started, you know, shouting out loud to God as his father and the other, the homeless, the group of homeless people thought he was crazy and they started kind of laughing at him. But it was amazing how God's presence, making God making himself known to him in that circumstance, overwhelmed him to where he had a peace and a joy in his heart in spite of all that. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things as I heard the story and I thought about that, it was just a reminder about how, you know, we, we talk a lot about new covenant grace and rightly so and all that. But I think we need to be careful at times that we don't, you know, let it become a cold doctrine, that we forget that there is a person mm-hmm. that this all relates to, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring us into relationship to enjoy the love of a heavenly father. And so for Lewis, he didn't know anything about the new covenant. Right. He didn't know anything about this thing we call grace. But he met God that night, or God made himself known to Lewis. Today, you know, it's a whole different story, and, and Lewis is... Um, I, I, I know he's, you know, living a, a normal life now, you know, not, doesn't have to put up with all that now. I haven't heard the rest of the details of his life in California now, but, um, but that was just a reminder about that, you know, that God is a person. He's, he's not a doctrine. So this whole thing, new covenant grace, it's, it's not something primarily mental or intellectual. Now there, you know, there it's are not a- mechanical. It. It's, right. not, it's not a mechanical and, you know, God is not an algorithm, that's kind yeah, of the thing yeah. to me this week. You know, we to, fit, to it, figure out. Yeah, it's know. like in like if you deal in social media stuff. You know, the Facebook's got an algorithm. You try to figure out how mm-hmm. to get the most you know viewers and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of make God, I guess, a mysterious algorithm. You got to figure it out anyway, rather than being a person. So he's not an algorithm. He's not a he's not a set of principles. He's not a theory. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of the the Revelation three verse that you know we've all heard for all of our lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I remember, tell me if you remember this. I, I remember at some point along the line growing up saying that, okay, that's, you know, he's speaking to the church because these are the seven letters right. to the churches. And right. he, but then later on, I'm come convinced, no, a lot of the New Testament in, in those seven letters are also written to a lot of unbelievers yeah, as well. Right. So I, I think that is kind of an evangelistic appeal. appeal. And so for someone who's not a believer. Well, it was a church that said they didn't need Jesus. Yeah, yeah. They, they said that we have enough. We, we're, we're we're rich. We got what we need. We don't need you don't need the Lord, so we leave him outside. And so, for someone who's not a believer, sometimes I think we tend to, or I tend to, want to try to you know intellectually convince them of something. And there is a place for that. So it's not that there's no place for that. But I remember Paul in the Book of Acts. You know, he tried to convince someone. Um, 
Is that in Athens? He was in Athens before he went to Corinth. I think he was in Athens and he debated them, but really didn't have much success. You know, they were used to debating in Athens and Greece. And it was he went to there, from there to Corinth. And then when he came to Corinth, remember one of our verses that have been meaningful to us when he said, you know, when I came to you, Corinthians, I came knowing nothing except Christ and him crucified. But the idea that for the unbeliever, this that again, it's not a principles, it's not just an intellectual argument, but that they there is a person that loves them more than they know and is calling them and knocking on the door. And I heard something else this past week. Frank, I listened to a, a video by Frank Friedman, a uh, pastor down in Baton Rouge, made a great point from a verse in Galatians 1 that I had not noticed. Yeah, I remember that, and you remember the part in Galatians 1 where Paul kind of scolds the Galatians, or not kind of, he does scold the Galatians about turning away from, from the gospel. And he pointed out that what what Paul mentions the way he says it in Galatians 1 6, and I'm surprised that you are so quickly turning from him who called you by his grace. Not turning away from a doctrine, not turning away from yeah. uh, an intellectual belief, but turning away from him. Well, I, I, so. I've, always, I've always loved the fact that when the shepherds are in the field and the angels make the announcement to the shepherds, then see the city of David is born what? Not, or is not given to you what? a new doctrine, a new religion, a new set of principles, a savior. Somebody basically, that's a savior is somebody to do this for you. You have mm-hmm. a person that's born. And uh, that is the essence of the gospel. You know, another phrase in that, I heard, I heard a message back around Christmas time that I hadn't really thought about this, that, you know, a savior unto you this day is born a savior unto you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can individualize that. We always think of Christ dying for you. You ever think of Christ being born for you? That's a little bit different angle. I think that then to you is, is given this day in the city of David, a savior. And so, um, See, so me, a, a lot, a lot of, uh, of, you know, living as a believer is a mindset. It's like, what is the mindset? Is the mindset not? See, you can make several mistakes. One is uh, you can have a mindset of, well, I got to do these obligations, do these things to kind of earn God's acceptance, to earn salvation. Or you can have the mindset, well, this is the way this works. You know, you have this mechanical process, mm-hmm. and even grace can be a bit of that. And I hear yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, but a, a mindset that says because of what God has done for us through the cross, that we, it is a relationship now. It's not about, you know, it's not, it's not even about, you know, Bible truths as an end in themselves. You know, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the scriptural truths that bring you to relationship. Not scriptural truths to kind of check off that okay I get that doctrine I understand that, um, so that you know John fourteen six we wrote about in our book breaking the hex life with God after the cross good religion available on Amazon for nine ninety nine the chapter about I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father I used to think of that verse strictly in terms of heaven okay that how do you know how do you get out of hell and go to heaven well mm-hmm. Jesus is the way the truth the light well. Yes, I, I believe all that. I agree with that. But that I don't think that's what that verse is talking about. That verse, you know, no one comes to the Father. And so, you know, Ephesians 3, bow my knees before the Father from whom every family is named. And so, I mean, that's where this all leads to is, is to know that we're loved by a Father. And I thought of the verse in either Ephesians or Colossians or maybe both about, you know, and now, dear children, holy and dearly loved, you know, Live this way, walk this way. But the idea that it says, okay, holy and dearly loved, is saying, okay, now, now, folks, holy and convinced intellectually, holy and believing the right doc notes, holy and dearly loved. 
and when we know that that love from the personal relationship. And even Galatians 2.20 that everybody in our camp quotes all the time, which is a great verse, you know, but it's it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in one who loved me and Mm -hmm. gave himself for me. So the relationship love was first, and then the transactional part of it was second, gave himself for me. So he just understands that this is about a person who cared enough, that does love him, and because of that, um, you have the way the gospel plays out or what it means or how to understand it. So I think, you know, to say it this way too, would you agree with this statement that you know, the gospel is both, you know, what we say in our culture, left brain and right brain, you know? It's mm-hmm. left brain that it does make sense, mm-hmm. but it's right brain and it is about relationship. It is about the intangible, the, you know, parts of it that are not really understandable. Yeah. You know, you can't understand everything about God or the gospel. Some of it you just live and experience and, you know, just take by faith. And there's a spiritual reality that's beyond the intellect and beyond, it's not emotion either. Right. You know, there right. is a spiritual realm that is different than either intellect or emotion, all that. So right. changing gears, uh, smooth transition here to the Andy Griffith show. Do you... Um, I don't remember. Are you a fan of the Andy Griffith show? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm not a ravenous fan. I guess it's a pretty funny show sometimes. I don't, I don't, probably, it might be the best sitcom I think ever created. But the anyway, reason I, I bring that up, yeah. I don't, you probably right. didn't see it, but one of the guys on Facebook this week, one of the other uh, Grace podcasters, <laughs> he had a, I enjoyed the quote. He said, uh, he, he said, okay, something to the effect of, all right, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I've never voiced this. He does not like Helen Crump. Yeah, I saw that. Did yeah. you see that? Yeah. Well, it was interesting to see all, and I, I chimed in on it, and to see all the men in their 50s, roughly, and 60s, all start chiming in on their opinion about the Helen Crump on the Andy Griffith show, and who's, and all this stuff. but it's kind of like, you know, we, yeah, we don't glory, I, I put a post there, we don't glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and our impressive knowledge of the Andy Griffith show. It's kind of, you can just tell everybody oh, all of a sudden really enjoyed demonstrating your, you know, their, their knowledge of the Andy Griffith show. So you have no opinion one way or the other on Helen Crump, I'm assuming? No, I really don't care about no. it. <laughs> it's like, you know, somebody did you point didn't out that. Coming, did you did, did, Let me ask you, is, is it true that I guess nobody on Andy Griffith show was married? Except for one. Who? Otis the drunk. Otis, well, that's right. But yeah. did they show, I guess his wife was on well, a few episodes. Case, yeah, yeah that, that's part of the joke. Everyone yeah. was, that's why Mayberry was so peaceful because Everybody nobody was, was married except okay. for Otis and he was drunk all the time. So, oh, so okay. anyway, yeah, we don't well, need any emails just, over there. We that. may have to edit that part out of the box. The other thing on the, on the lighter note here, I thought of, uh, okay, I'm talking, I'm thinking about restaurant foods that you can recognize, that you would recognize by their smell alone. The exact item from the exact restaurant. I mean, if you, if you tuned into this podcast, you thought you are going to get some kind of a coherent discussion. Uh, no, it's just eclectic. We, we never know what direction this is going to go. So what, well, what, what, what are you what, talking what, about? What, what brought this on is we brought something in for Josiah, one of our sons, yeah. to, to eat. And it just smelled great. And it was realized, okay, I would recognize that smell anywhere. Blindfolded, I would know exactly what restaurant that came from. Uh, see, I and would. I could think of three, and I thought of two other things, too. So I'm sure there's other ones, but I I, I can only think of three. Can you think, think of any no, I can't restaurant? Think of any. I mean, no. you, you eat out all the time. Yeah, but I don't know about smell. I, I really don't have a great sense of smell to begin with. That's probably the Well, issue. what we brought home was Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. You would recognize that, wouldn't you? Uh, maybe. You it know. smells different than yeah, other chicken. Yeah, maybe, maybe. The other one was McDonald's Fries. 
I think they have. I think if, you know you get a good okay. whiff of McDonald's Maybe. fries, you would recognize that. that's Maybe. McDonald's fries, and the other was Krispy Kreme donuts. They have I a unique Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't. I don't eat very many Krispy Kreme donuts. Well, I don't eat that many either. But I mean, I thought that All was right. a recognizable smell. Anyway, well, okay, we'll start. Uh, that was deep, Jeff. We'll start I, don't know. I had to ponder that. I don't know. Okay, since you want to. Get more serious here. No, no, I didn't say that. I'm just saying. I just, you know. (laughs) couple of analogies. Do you like the one I put on Facebook today? I thought that was about a legalism is kind of like a, um, the, uh, where are you laughing? (laughs) I do have a comment about it. Go right ahead. Just launch into this. I'm not looking at it right now, so this is not a word for word reading. But the idea that, you know, we have a new heart. So that's where this stems from. It's got to lead into this here a little bit. That, um, you know, the art (laughs) of... Hard to be serious. Go right ahead. Just, just wade right into this. So, I mean, the heart pumps blood to the body, and we have a new heart in Christ, so his life flows through us. So with that in mind, I thought, okay, cholesterol kind of blocks those arteries. And I thought, okay, legalism is like cholesterol that blocks the arteries. Grace <laughs> is the angioplasty that kind of opens up the artery to let the life, the blood flow. And so that when we're caught up in legalism and trying to earn things from God and are not able to rest, yes, he's still in us. He's still our life, but we don't experience the flow of his life as we could. So you're just going to rip that up now and make fun of it? I'm just saying, (laughs) there you go. That's the analogy of the day from two old white guys. (laughs) And you're talking about angioplasty. Plas- what do you call it? Angioplasty? Is that it? I think it's angioplasty. Angioplasty. <laughs> so that's another sign we're getting old. Yeah, that's another sign I'm I mean, getting old. We, gotta, we cannot stay in this track. First, we, we what last podcast we talked about our pills that are laid out by the day, and now we're going into medical procedures. Angioplasty. I don't know if we want to go down this road. Every yeah, I, guess, I guess that is a sign I'm getting old. When I start, when I start coming up with... Spiritual analogies yes, from yeah. physical ailments. Yeah. That's a sign I'm getting old. I think so. Here. Yeah, that's not. I'm telling you, that's not a road I want to go down. Anyway, <laughs> so along those lines, when I posted that, someone else commented. It's actually Frank Friedman again from Baton Rouge. He, had, he he said he stole this analogy, so I told him, "I'm going to steal it from you and and uh, share it on our podcast." That legalism is. I think you'll like this one, and this has nothing to do with. Uh, Old people getting. It's not nothing to do with pills or uh, medical <laughs> procedures, does it? Please no, no, tell no, no, me. No. That we're this, we're this done is, with that. This okay. is a whole different lane here. That, but I thought this was good. Legalism is like trying to drive a car with your foot on the. Or a Christian caught up in legalism is like trying to drive a car with your foot on both the gas and the brake at the same time. Isn't right. that pretty good? Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, it just kind of defeats the purpose, and who and who would do that? So okay, all right. But um, there's some other things that I'll say for another time since we're winding this down here. But uh, I guess the main thing is just this idea that let's not forget that. I mean, it, it sounds so basic and simple and obvious, but I think we still forget that God is a personal being, a person, and so we can each. Get up in the morning, go to bed at night, knowing that there is a person, the God of this universe, a person who loves us more than we could possibly know and sent his son to die for us. And that love is in, is in Christ, demonstrated at the cross. And that makes all the difference in the world. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 